What is going on, guys? This is Brendan Burns, and welcome to The Brendan Burns Show. Join me as I interview, dissect, and share the stories of high performers who have created the life that they deserve on their terms. I sit down with speakers, professional athletes, and successful entrepreneurs from all over the world who have chosen to live a life of fulfillment and joy over status and money. In each episode, I share actionable strategies that you can implement in your life, plus inspiration along the way. So come join me for this episode of The Brendan Burns Show. Ladies and gentlemen, joining us today is none other than Dolvet Quince, a fitness model actor, New York Times bestselling author, and celebrity personal trainer. After opening his own gym, Body Sculptor Inc., in 2004, he became globally known for his role as the main trainer in the TV show The Biggest Loser. Dolvet built a celebrity clientele, including Janet Jackson, Nicole Ari Parker, Justin Bieber. He has been profiled in a number of magazines and TV shows, including Parade, GQ, Men's Fitness, NBC News, Uptown Magazine, and TMZ. After his TV debut, Dolvet released Me and My Chair, the No Excuses workout DVD, and wrote his New York Times bestseller, the 3121 diet, eat and cheat your way to weight loss, up to 10 pounds in 21 days. To continue his personal training career and entrepreneurship, Quince launched his app called Quince Essential in 2016. Today, Dolvet is a self development coach, author, movement expert, and entrepreneur. Dolvet, welcome to the show. What's up, brother? Thanks for having me. It's good to see you. Oh, it's great to see you as always, my friend. And you know, reading that bio, I was like, wow, this guy is way more accomplished and famous and cool than I even <laughs> realized when we're just hanging out. But, you know, for those who don't know you yet, or maybe you've just seen you on the show, tell us a little bit about your background. Where are you from? How'd you get into this whole world? I was born in Stanford, Connecticut. And um, my folks uh, eventually moved to Bridgeport. And I grew up in Bridgeport. Connecticut, if anyone else out there knows about Bridgeport. Um, I have two brothers and one sister. All four of us were uh, raised in Martin Luther King projects there in Bridgeport, Connecticut. And uh, a few years passed, we ended up getting adopted by a Jamaican couple. And we lived uh, in Connecticut for a few more years after that. But I think my parents at the time were, were sick of the cold and the snow. So we ended up going to Florida. I went to high school in Florida, I did a little bit of college in Florida. So, uh, and now uh, after that, Atlanta, and now I'm here in Los Angeles. Wow, all over the country. Yeah. What, what was that like going through that transition? Because I know obviously you're so well known as this fitness expert, but one of the things I love about you is your vulnerability and how deep you go into like the personal life and life coaching world. What was that sort of transition adoption like? And has that, impacted your desire and ability to help people? That's a great question. Absolutely. You know, that early on, I think because I was faced with so many challenges, you know, it's not easy for a child to be taken away from their mother in the middle of the night, you know, and then you go into someone's stranger's home for a couple of weeks, and then you finally are reunited with your family. All those are traumatic things. Um, after that, though, you then get adopted. So you think, wow, I landed here. But in the back of your mind, what about the life I used to know, right? Um, in the middle of all of that, though, my spirit has always been built from hope. It's always been hopeful. It's always been built from faith. 
I knew in the back of my mind that everything was going to be okay. From the first time I got on the plane as a young little boy, I remember looking at my sister saying, everything is going to be okay. And um, from the first time that my father raised his hand to hit me, I knew then everything was going to be okay. Um, so, you know, it's that mustard seed faith. It's that, that ultimate... Um, no matter what the circumstance, no weapon formed against me, all those things have been embedded in my soul and despite the challenges. And because of that, I utilize those life experiences and those tools, so to speak, to help others and shine light. If you look at it through this lens, you'll see the world different. How have you maintained that attitude and the things you've been through in your life and how can the listeners do that? Because I know there are listeners out there who just lost their biggest client, who are making no money, just lost a big relationship. Everything will work out for them. But how do they, in the moment of that pain and that fear, stay connected to that truth and that hope? You got to ask yourself where the love lies, Brendan. Does the love lie in getting or having, right? If the love lies in, I love, I love the work. I love getting it. I love doing it. I love, if I'm a painter, every brush stroke of color because the canvas is blank. Where will my imagination take me? And then I sit back and saying, wow, look what I've done. Is it the process you love or is it the, pro the product? Hopefully, if you live in the process, you realize I lost all this stuff, but damn it, I'm the one who got it in the first place. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. I, I'm beyond capable of doing this, you know? I don't, I, I, what you don't want to be caught up in is what you possess, meaning the actual tangible things that you touch. What you do want to be caught up in is what you possess. The, the, the juice, the energy, the faith, the grind, the things within you that only you know you have. If you and I are walking down the street, I don't know your stock. I don't know what you have built inside of you. You know what I mean? I can't see it. I can't touch it, but you do, right? You know your value. So we'll call them your different jewels within you. Some jewels are dull. Some jewels are shiny, right? I can't tell which one's going to blind my eyes. I'm running by you down the street, but you know. And if we tap into our jewels, if we know, you know what? Let me brighten this thing up again, right? I was having this conversation with someone the other day. And I simply said, at my worst times, I kept doing what I felt I was good at. If I got fired from a job, I woke up the next day, put on my clothes and act as if I was going to work. Or I got on a call and I started, I had to get back into my greatness because I couldn't let someone else's decision define who I am. So how have you anchored into that? Because you've gone on this amazing journey, being on this TV show, having the celebrity status, and then going through a season of obviously not being on the show and not the highs and lows, but just going through that process. How do you find that validation, that happiness from within, not just, oh, hey, I was on TV last week and now people recognize me so that I feel good off of that? Um, I, I, I am what you see on TV, right? Um, TV didn't transform me. It didn't make me to become something else. You know, I'm, I've never been an overnight success. I've always worked towards everything I have. I've always remembered to lead with love. I've, I've always remembered to enjoy what I'm doing, right? And so as long as I don't give that away, I'm okay. 
-hmm. The moment I give away my enjoyment, I'm lost. And it happened to me early on in my career because I came from every morning I woke up, opened up my private studio in Atlanta, uh, turned the lights on, had my staff there, the whole thing, made the decisions, brought in the bulk of money, you know, watched my business grow. I busted my ass. Cut to, I go to Hollywood and I have to check in with the manager. Is this okay for me to do this? Check in with the publicist. Hey, what do you think? Check in with the lawyers. I, I slowly saw my power or my, even my creativity looking to get permission. And for me, that was the hardest thing. It's like, I'm someone who thrives on decision-making. So when I had to give away the, is it okay? Or let me check in with NBC before I move this way or move that way. It, that was probably the most crushing part of my career. I would say that and also how abruptly Biggest Loser ended. But I was still able to remember, dude, when you're at your worst, what, how, do you, how do you get better? You go back to basics. You go back to what makes you good at what you love to do. You love to help people. You get more when you give more. So I had to start reaching out to folks and helping out. And that, that to me elevated me to and reminded me to be once again myself. And now here we go again, round, round 10, I think it is <laughs> in this uh, life bout. Talk a little bit more about, you know, what that was like, because it sounds like with your gym, you were very empowered. You were the guy. And now you have this great opportunity. You're famous, you're in Hollywood, but you're in kind of like in a box. It sounded like on some level. Yeah. So how did you deal with that? And how can someone who's in a similar situation go through that process? Here's the story. I worked both things. You know, my gym was on the East Coast in Atlanta. I was now living in California and I knew that the, the, the California rock was a bigger mountain than the gym in Atlanta, just in terms of it was new, all eyes on me. Um, I was responsible for the lives of five people. It was a seven day a week, camera on, camera off gig that needed my focus. I remember finishing and completing the first season. I remember having so many amazing, intelligent, entrepreneurs and friends in Atlanta, uh, some millionaires, some billionaires, what have you, right? Just to put numbers into context, not that any of that matters. I just respected them as they respected me. My first season on the show, I sent out an email. I'm working with a new team. I had my, my, uh, my good friend, uh, Jerry Mang, who's a social media director at the time working for me. I had my manager, Lee Kernis here in Los Angeles. And I also had my very good friend, Kelly Mendelson, who uh, dealt with my finances and all the behind the scenes stuff for me. I said to my, to them and about 12 people in Atlanta, sent a massive email. The email was titled mom, meeting of the minds, right? I wanted to put this nurturing, almost like my own, what is that EEO group or ECO group, whatever that, you know, those group of entrepreneurs that get together, my yeah. own, um, conciliari, my own nights at the round table is the best way to describe it, right? I said, guys, let me put you all together. Let's do a three-day thing. On the first day, I want you guys to have dinner. I purposely sat this person next to this because some people knew each other, some people did not. The next morning, um, 
actually it was more of a two and a half day thing. The next morning we went to um, a brunch that I set up at the Four Seasons in a conference room. I broke out a whiteboard. I said to the mom group, if you were me and I were you in this multi-billion dollar business on this platform that I have, what would you do? How would you angle this? What are the, what, what should, one of the smartest things that came out of that meeting, my friend, Jesse Itzler, he said to me, um, how are the gyms doing? I said, it's actually, it's a bit of a headache. To be honest. Well, no, he asked the question specifically, what's giving you the most stress right now? That was it. Great question. Yeah. I said, the gyms indefinitely, because I'm thinking about the gym, but I'm trying to get on camera and help these people out. And I got to focus here, but you know, I finish a 12 hour day, but then I got to get on the phone, check in, see what's happening. By the time I get on the phone, it's 1 a.m. in the morning over there on the East Coast. So he looked at me straight, didn't even blink and said, well, then close the gyms. I said, what? I said, I'm on a fitness show about fitness. Surely I keep these gyms open. And he said, would you rather train 400 people or 40 million? Close the gyms. Essentially what he was saying was alleviate your stress. When that advice came to fruition, meaning that two weeks later, I shut my gyms down based on that meeting. And there were other things in that meeting that really helped you know, my trajectory in my career. And I'm grateful to this day for those individuals in the room. So thank you all. My life changed. It was almost as if you ever like wake up with a crick in your neck and you try to, you know, you try to turn your head and no matter where you turn it, it just hurts. It's like that thing was just released. It was gone. The moment I said, okay, the doors are shut. The best feeling of my life, because I was then able to focus on a thing instead of several things. And that a thing was a massive thing. Right. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that, that's how that happened. How did you, pull that off with the boldness required to do so? There's two things that people have to do. They have to talk and they have to do. A lot of people talk about what they want to do, but then it just disappears like smoke. Some people do and talk at the same time. Some people just do with no words. So you have to ask yourself what type of person I am. To me, courage means I'm okay with just doing. I'll figure it out as I go, or maybe I'm making a fucking mistake, but at least I'm trying. And you have to give yourself permission to do that. You have to be willing to take risks. It's only during the risk that you learn who you are, right? And that, that's a very general statement. It's like, okay, I get that, so what? But your attitude determines your altitude. If you walk into something with the attitude like I can, you're absolutely right, you won't. You absolutely will not. But if you remain optimistic, and optimism is something that you practice on the big things and the small things, but first you practice on the little small things. I'm gonna try something different today. I'm gonna, and you keep chipping away at trying something different and doing something new, as opposed to living in the safety of your bubble and your routine. I was talking to someone the other day who said that their uh, parents never been on a plane before. They live right in rural Alabama somewhere in some small town. They've never experienced anything outside of the circumference of their understanding. And then to me, there's a sadness there because you don't, your optics don't change, your world doesn't change. So I'm both willing to change, I'm both curious about change, and I want to figure out how far I can go. 
I need to know. I need to know that when I'm scared, that first of all, why am I scared? What am I going to do with this fear? Right? Because mm-hmm. we're going to be happy and joyous. And I mean, that's something that is, it transcends back and forth, you know? But if I'm going to bungee jump and the adrenaline rush and everything's right there, should I jump or should I, is this thing going to hold me? There's so many things going through my mind. If you jump off the cliff and you do it, you learn more about yourself. I'm curious what your experience has been like rising to the the fame that you've had in, in terms of any like deserving complex or whether it's like you becoming the famous person or you working with people of a certain level of like fame and whatnot. So training some of these celebrities or stepping into it because a lot of listeners, I've even done a specific episode on imposter syndrome. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, what was that process like for you? It was interesting because I had a little bit of practice in my town in Atlanta because everywhere I went, people knew me. And so I was able to practice that whole, Hey, how you doing? Oh yeah, that's it all that guy. And I, and I did some of that prior to the massive global fame. Right. Um, and I think because, you know, sometimes there's what we want when we want it. And then there's God's plan. Right. So it's like, <laughs> I have all these gifts. Yeah. I can, I, I do, I, I cook and I can paint and I do a lot of art and sing and do all these other things and dance and do, you know, act all these things are over here. So, you know, let's go, let's pursue this Hollywood thing, but it's almost like over here, well, you're not ready yet. You need more practice. You need to be, you need to, you need, uh, more humility. And I think luckily for me, I had the humility and the preparation to walk into quote unquote fame, you know, without losing my identity. I was so sure of who I was internally. There was no external hype or um, uh, praise that could change my perception of me. Um, It's funny when I hear people say, it's nice when I had, when I met you that you're the same person I saw on TV, right? I'm like, yeah, it's reality television. Like, of course I'm gonna be. Although there are some fabrications out there, I never, I've never lost that. And then working with celebrities who are beyond famous. I remember um, meeting a guy, and I won't say his name, but he's he's a big, big a a type a a a list celebrity. A list, yeah. Yes saw him on a plane he actually recognized me and I thought that was extremely flattered and we got to talking and I asked him to come work out with me in Manhattan Beach with a couple of other celebrity types we went from having a great 30-minute conversation about fitness and wellness and life and everything Mm -hmm. to his fear came on his headlights his defense came on he was like, well, what about paparazzi? Aren't you guys worried about that? No, no, no. And it became this whole defense. And I was like, I felt bad. I yeah. felt bad that the human side of him, because of the programming, you know, he couldn't be himself anymore. It went from a light conversation to a defensive one. So it's a gift and a curse. How have you been able to stay genuine to who you are on a platform like a national television show? Well, I have the benefit of being myself, right? Not necessarily becoming a character that people adore and, you know, and all this other stuff, but thank God for social media. But now actors are able to break down that wall of visibility in terms of they get to show people who they are to a degree. Um, But I sympathize, you know, I'm very sensitive to 
actors and musicians. And I empathize with them because people can be cruel. I remember being in New York with my son and he and I are eating dinner and this lady came over and said, oh my God, you take a picture with me. I, gotta, I said, I'd love to, you know, I'm always nice to people, love to take pictures with them and stuff, but I'm having dinner with my son right now in a conversation. She said, you have to take a picture of me. You're a celebrity, you have to. <laughs> And just kind of, I, I was literally like this, probably had spinach in my teeth, like, are you serious right now? <laughs> you know, like that was my reaction. But people tend to abuse yeah. and use. They abuse and they use. And so I, I walk into a room every single time, a little bit probably more sensitive than others because I, I, I had a, all the fame and the accolades. And so I understand both sides. Um, I don't, I haven't lost myself. I didn't lose myself. Again, I had the privilege of being myself on camera. And for the next things that I'm about to do, we'll do the same. Um, so yeah, I, I, I'm grateful for being grounded. I'm grateful for being a, a sound mind and sound body. And um, I think because I give myself to people in terms of helping them, it helps me. Mm -hmm. And it creates a authentic, a practice authenticity, right? It's a practice thing, a daily thing. So because I'm always living in that ethos, because I'm always living in that realm of authenticity, when it lands and when you see me, I'm already there. So mm -hmm. yeah, I'm very lucky for that reason. You have this, you have this faith, you have this um, courage, trust, you also have this genuine sincerity. Is that from your adoptive parents? Is that from your siblings? Is that from something else? It's from all of them. It's from all of that. Um, you know, my childhood wasn't the best because again, my parents were both mentally and physically abusive. They told me you're, you won't amount to anything. You won't be anything. Hands, the whole thing. Those are your biological parents? No, these are my adoptive parents. Oh, the adoptive parents were like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, to, oh, me, wow. to me, my sister, my two brothers, you know, so it was, but I was also in a community that was also raising them. In other words, we, the, the, the families we went to church with, we went to school with, and they saw the, the poor communication and the dominance and the tyrant, right, over, over these children. And so they came in and intervened often. Um, I would spend nights at friend's house where I want I wish my family was more like that family and they came and talked. So where, where they were short, others picked up. It truly takes a village, right? Um, there's a, there's a, <laughs> there's a parable that says a, a, a father passed, a father who was an alcoholic passed away and he had two sons. One son was an alcoholic, one son was a multimillionaire. And when asked the son who was an alcoholic, um, how did you become an alcoholic? He said, because my dad was an alcoholic. When asked his son who was a millionaire, how did you become a millionaire? He said, because my dad was an alcoholic. So wow. your parents teach you who to be or who not to be. Not to be, yeah. My father taught, my father was very aggressive to me and very dominant, very in my face and yelling and, you know, in your hands and what have you and abusive. I could have been just like him. He could right. have taught me to hate myself. But early on in life, I immediately started loving him and said it out loud. So I found my voice at a very young age. And because I found my voice, it empowered me. And it also diffused him. 
Because, you know, the thing about a bully or someone who's dominant, they want to see the fear, they want to feel the fear. But the minute you turn on the confidence, it diffuses them. So because he was diffused and it empowered me, I kept pouring more love to him. Even on days that I, you know, he was winning, I never let him know that. That's just so incredibly mature and ahead of the curve that you were able to do that at that age. So the next question I have is, and, and this is like something I've worked on personally over the years and I coach people on, um, but, but boundaries is like such a big thing to talk about. And I want to go to the example of you have this woman come up to you while you're having dinner and say, basically she demanded a picture. It sounds like. Yeah. How, how have you learned how to set good boundaries? What does that process look like? You're entitled to be yourself. You're entitled to give yourself permission to authentically be you. I love people. I've always loved people. So I'll lend myself to a room, um, be it 2,000 people that I'm speaking to. You know, If 200 people want to take a photo with me, I'm going to stay there and take a photo with 200 people. If one person of the 200 wants to tell me a story of where they are and where they want to be, I'll simply politely say, I love everything you're saying, but there's you know, 199 other people here that I'm going to do this with. Step up to the side and let's, or send me an email. There's a, there's a way to do it, right? Mm-hmm. However, however, um, if you're having a bad day, you're allowed to have a bad day. I remember people saying uh, stuff about Tom Cruise, for example, who, oh, he's such an asshole. And that, and I remember people saying that about Oprah, that, you know, yeah, she's such a this, is that, that, right? I met Tom Cruise. He couldn't have been a nicer person. Yeah. Couldn't have been a nice, but that that may have been a day where he wasn't stressed out or someone didn't rub him the wrong way or, <laughs> you know, but because he's Tom Cruise, he's not allowed a bad day. And that is not fair. Everyone is allowed a bad day. Everyone is allowed a little bit of grace. Like, okay, fine. Okay. I didn't realize that. Give him that. And that's okay if they have that. Maybe the next time will be different. Maybe the next time you won't even say anything, you know? <laughs> But all of that is okay. Um, you want to do what feels right, right? And if, if what feel, hopefully you have enough grace in your heart, and I'm speaking directly to those CEOs who need to create boundaries and those actors and pseudo actors, what have you. Um, if it's in your heart that this is coming from a genuine place, then trust your instincts, right? Trust that this person genuinely just wants a photo and that's it and keep it moving, da-da-da-da. But if you feel something otherwise, act accordingly. I was, I was at some sort of conference with one of my best friends here in, in LA, uh, Dario. And we're in the conference and you know, stopping and meeting and greeting, what have you. And I said, yo, I gotta get something to eat. I'm starving. I knew we should have got something to eat before this thing, but we had a little break between um, the next act or the next, the next thing. So he was like, let's just go outside. And I said, like, I don't think I should go outside. Not with all those people out there, downtown LA. I don't know what's the best idea. He said, let's just go real quick. All right. We went. Where we were going would have took us a four-minute walk to get there. Mm-hmm. It took us 40 minutes to get there because I had to stop and take pictures. And, and he yeah. looked at me like, you were right. <laughs> like, literally, I'm like this in the back. I'm taking a picture. He was on the other side of the thing. He was like, <laughs> I'm like, yes, I try to tell you I can't do the normal stuff anymore. So yeah, that was funny. What's the best thing a fan has ever said to you? Wow. 
I would say you changed my life resonates because I never met them before. Um, you helped me believe in me. Um, you have the spirit of Paul. I was like, what? He has a spirit of who's Paul? Paul, <laughs> Paul Mooney? <laughs> she was the biblical Paul, the, the, um, the apostle. Yeah, wow. I thought that was a brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. Um, you know, obviously you've written literally New York Times bestselling book on weight loss. Well, what requires weight loss though, or, or being healthy beyond like, you know, eat salad, exercise, like what's the deeper emotional stuff that you find pattern as a pattern in people who struggle with either eating overeating, or, you know, obesity or being overweight. You got to be ready. You got to be ready. You can't come to me and look for me to save you. There has to be something in you than just the words. Again, you have to be ready for the action you're willing to, willing to do. Um, and then once you're ready, you have to be ready every time you go at it. You have to be prepared. It's not easy. That's why it's so respected. When someone is in great physical shape, people um, admire them as if they would admire if Richard Branson was in the room about to speak. People just lean in because they want to know, how did you get to where you are in your career? It's the same thing with health and wellness. How did you have that level of discipline to take care of yourself, to look the way you look, to feel the way you look? Um, it takes a lot of work, but there's more weight on the brain than there is on the body, right? And I say it takes a lot of work and there's a lot of respect there, but don't be confused with the, the look alone, right? People tend to, there are a lot of people out there who look good, but aren't necessarily feeling good. Yeah. So you have to tap into self-love. You have to tap into it. You have to say, I love myself enough to do this for me. Mm -hmm. Not I love myself enough that I want to lose 40 pounds. That's not enough because you'll gain it right back. Not I love myself enough that I want to look like her. I want to look like him. Because if your aspiration is someone else's journey, then you're never, you're not even tapped into your own yet or someone else's optics. You have to start. I love myself where I am right now. And because I love myself where I am, I'm going to love myself in a way that I'll get to where I'm going. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. It's not, I'll love myself once I'm over there. Cause then, yeah. And it's, and it's funny cause I used to struggle with vanity. And when I was in college, I had this book called the abs diet and it was <laughs> by the editor in chief of men's health magazine at the time. And I was like, I can't wait to have the six pack, you know, the ad, like the mm -hmm. visible ad. Cause I was like, once I have that, then girls will like me, then I'll be accepted yeah. then I'll be yeah. good enough. Yeah. And I was like, nobody cares about that. It's like, you know, obviously some people do, but if those are the people I'm trying to attract, then I'm also attracting the wrong people also. You can't have a when I mentality. When I get, when that, you know what I mean? Yeah. You can't have a when I mentality. You, you, you have to live in the, the now, right? And so well, there's an expression growing up, fake it till you make it. Yeah. Wealthy as fuck right now. No, you're not. You're driving a hoopty. Nah, but I'm wealthy. 
um, you just got fired yesterday, but I'm wealthy. <laughs> you don't even understand how wealthy I am. If I keep saying something, I'm going to believe it. And the irony is if you keep saying something, people around you will believe it as well. Yeah. But you got to act towards getting those things. My circles changed when my attitude changed, right? I put myself in rooms that I knew everyone in the room was smarter than me. The value that I brought to the room was my attitude. Remain positive, smile, and be willing to learn. I didn't allow my arrogance to say, if asked a question, oh, that means this. My, my arrogance or my humility said, I have no idea how to answer that, <laughs> but I want to learn. That's why I'm here. You're living in LA. I used to be in Newport Beach, down down San Diego. You got a big billboard. You could put anything on that thing. You know a lot of people are going to see it. You got wisdom. You got spirituality. You got God. You know, you're Apostle Dolvet over here. Mm. What are you going to put on that billboard? Say anything. Do it anyway. Mm. Just do it. Do it anyway. Do it anyway to me means even though I may try to talk myself out of it, people may try to talk it out of me. I, I live in a world where I'm surrounded by judgment. Do it anyway. My Jesse's wife, Sarah, said in an interview once, Sarah Blakely, for those of you who don't know, I'm speaking of. Um, self-made billionaire. Yep, self-made, self-made billionaire. Yep. She said that when a new idea is forming, she doesn't tell her husband, she doesn't tell people that work for her, she literally gets in the car and as she's mapping it out, she'll drive by the office even at times and just, you know, and she kind of nurture it and keep it close. You sometimes just have to do something anyway. Again, it goes back to taking those risks. It goes back into when I reach a certain stage and age in life, how do I continue to learn? When I was an infant, I was, I was willing to learn. When I was a teenager, I was willing to learn. I went to college, I was willing to learn. I was at work, a new job, I was willing to learn. But the minute I became and started making my own money, psh, I'm the boss now, I'm the, I have no reason to learn. I'm the head of my household, my husband, my wife, whatever your story is, right? Your learning dilutes. When a seed stops growing, it starts dying, yeah. right? You have to be always willing to get better, willing to learn and do it anyway. I love that's so good. I remember when I was trying to leave Wall Street and start this business coaching and the podcast, instead of doing it anyway, I would go to these parties and hang out with people. I would just be telling them like, oh, this is what I'm thinking. This is what I'm thinking. Like the opposite of what Sarah does. Right. And then like looking for the stamp of approval or the validation or someone right. to tell me to do it. I did the same thing. And then like, you know, sometimes people would be, oh, that's a great idea. Go for it. And then I would feel good and confident. And other times people would like tear it down because they either didn't like it or they'd be threatened by me going to do something cool. Yep. And then I would feel like, oh, it's not going to work. Or I'd feel really bad about myself and yep. um, man, do it anyway. What a, what a great way to cap this, this show. And um, Dovet, I really appreciate it. Thanks again for coming on. Thank you, brother. Thanks for having me. And it's good to see you. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of The Brendan Burns Show. If it's your first time here, please make sure to subscribe on the Apple Podcasts app or in Spotify. 
Also, please leave us a rating or written review. This helps others learn about the show and spread the word to new and more people. Thanks again for listening and have a great day.